Dan Rather is the best at digging up unbelievable stories. But if you're looking for some surprises, check out Music's Greatest Mysteries, the podcast. Hey there. Welcome to Dan Rather's The Big Interview, the podcast for music lovers, full of thought-provoking interviews and conversations like you've never heard before with some of the biggest names in the biz. Each episode will bring you exclusive in-depth interviews from your favorite artists, from classic rock and country to timeless music everyone enjoys. We cover it all right here on Dan Rather's The Big Interview. So sit back and enjoy these magnificent stories from the artists that lived it. Here's your host, Dan Rather. I'm on again, guys. Tonight on The Big Interview. And that's what I do. I laugh about people, no matter what the hell you are. Irish, Jewish, Italian, Negro, Puerto Rican. Well, Puerto Rican... When you do anything different, you're always open for criticism. And if I didn't do what I did, I wouldn't be sitting here now. You gotta be different than the next guy. I don't care what you are, you're fat. For more than 60 years, Don Rickles has been entertaining audiences with his unique brand of insult comedy. Chinese, Japanese, Filipino, my ass, you're a Jap. No one is safe when Rickles is around. You have insulted people of every race, color, Creed, religion, gender, how do you get away with it? Because it's it's not mean-spirited, and it's obvious unless you live under a rock. It's a joke. Hey, this is what you're going to hear, lady. If you're waiting for Billy Graham to come in and make your kid walk again, forget about it. Legendary comedian Don Rickles, tonight on The Big Interview. Here he is, Mr. Womp himself, Don Rickles. It should come as no surprise that Don Rickles routinely opens his act with a tune that evokes a bullfight. And that's because this comedy legend has made a career out of being confrontational. Stop the goddamn band. <laughs> the hell's the matter with you, for Christ's sake? It's a Mexican thing. It's important, for crying out loud. They're playing it wrong, and now the whole goddamn kitchen is going to quit. This particular set is from the Stardust Casino in Las Vegas. I don't want the colored guy to butt in. And was prominently displayed in the 2007 Emmy Award-winning film, Mr. Warmth, The Don Rickles Project. You Italian? What is, what is your heritage? German. German? Get a rope. I'll tell you this. What's your name, Fritz? Hans? What? Frank my ass, Frank. Does this relax you, Frank? <laughs> that nickname, Mr. Warmth, is of course meant to be sarcastic. 40 million Jews, I got a Nazi sitting on the goddamn front. <laughs> Get the hell out of the way, for Christ's sake. I'm trying to do a show and I got a big ass sticking right here in the front. But as famed American author Gay Talese once said, Don Rickles is too offensive to be offensive. The breadth of Don Rickles' career is astonishing by any measure. He started out telling jokes in strip clubs in the 1950s. He landed a steady gig at New York's famed Copacabana. And Rickles was a Vegas regular 
during the golden age of the notorious Rat Pack. This comedy legend has insulted some of the biggest names in Hollywood, even the President of the United States. Good evening, Mr. President. Nice to see you, sir, and your lovely wife, Nancy. It's, it's a big treat for me to fly all the way from California to be here for this kind of money. Don Rickles was born in Jackson Heights, New York in 1926, the only child of Max and Etta Rickles. Throughout his life, Rickles maintained a fiercely close relationship with his mother. He enlisted in the U.S. Navy and served in the Philippines during World War II. After the war, Rickles returned to New York and decided on a career in show business. With hopes of making it big on Broadway, he started acting at the prestigious American Academy of Dramatic Arts. It didn't take long before Rickles started earning supporting roles in a number of Hollywood films. Hey, come here, you guys. Listen to this. Dear Commander, Japanese Imperial Fleet, be it hereby known that on July 31st, 1943, the USS Nurka, under the command of Captain P.J. Richardson, sunk a Japanese destroyer. Hooray! One down, 20 fish to go. He became an extremely familiar face on television, guest starring on many of the most popular shows. He was a personal favorite of Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show. Could I, could I do it a couple of minutes? No! No! no. no. That's no Give me fun. a break, I'm so lonely. <laughs> <laughs> This is a good jacket. You come in tomorrow night with cotton candy and you work the carnival. <laughs> now, anyway, uh, can I say something since I've seen you? Please don't. I've gotten so old. <laughs> 19 years, John. That's right. Don't milk it anymore. Walk away. <laughs> Regardless of his abrasive onstage persona, Rickles has a reputation for being a loyal and true friend. Clark Gable, Clint Eastwood, Bob Newhart, and Frank Sinatra, among many other Hollywood A-listers, have called him their pal. And among younger comedians, Rickles is considered both a trailblazer and an inspiration. Many of them will tell you there is only one Don Rickles. Well, Don, thank you so much for coming today to do this. Oh, it's, uh, it's really a pleasure, mainly because uh, people of your era, I, I, when you were on with the news, you know, with the, the Cronkite and all those guys, you, you were always top of the line and still top of the line. But it's, it's my pleasure to, to meet you and to do this. Well, I really appreciate you coming. And you talk about an era. I want to talk to you about, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. But tell me a story. Tell me a story about growing up in Jackson Heights, New York. Well, it's not much of a story because Jackson Heights, I, I was... Uh, the school was right, right opposite where we lived. And I was an only child, and we had, uh, my father was a wonderful kind of guy. He, he passed away very young. Oddly enough, he passed away on the street in New York, and my cousin at that time was an intern at Bellevue. Wow. And he was in an ambulance, and he came, not knowing it was my father, and tried to bring him back to life. Oh, wow. It was really, anyway, so, and my mother was a woman that did the summer these days. She went to a party and just stood up and, you're going to miss me, honey. You know, she loved to kid around and entertain. Well, I want to talk to you about your father. There is a, a, a saying 
that no man is complete until after his father passes. First of all, do you agree with that? Well, I was very close to my father. I don't know if it made me any different. My mother had more of an influence on me than my, my dad. My dad was, was a wonderful guy, but my mother ran the ship. She was, a, I call it a Jewish pattern. And she, uh, she had full command. She, uh, she'd walk into a room and she'd be noticed. And the only other person I ever met that did that was Sinatra. I, when he came in, people had the soup and it was like this, you know. And he was a good singer, Frank. I, you know, I made him look good. And so uh, I, <laughs> I can say that now because he's dead. <laughs> but uh, my mother was really the influential person <clears throat> to make me come out and do what I do. And I, I really wanted to be an actor because uh, I didn't know too much, as the United States Navy proved, because the Japanese would have won if I continued to fight for us. All right. uh, you, you're too humble about your contributions during the war. But I want to come back to your father for a moment. You, you were about what age when your father died? I was about in my late 30s. Yeah, and I, I was in a place in Washington, a little joint, little, in those days they called it a striptease place. And my cousin came, and I was backstage ready to go on. And he said, now forget it, he passed on two rest or so. And he came on, and he said, Don, dead. I said, I'm going on, Jerry, not now. I've got to tell you, dad just died. And I said, really? He said, yeah. And I went out on the stage, and the Almighty must have been watching. I did the best show in this joint they ever saw in their life. And then when I came back, I realized what happened, and I, I, I took it very hard. I'm not going to pry too far with this, but I have this picture. You're a, you're a young man, no longer a boy, working these strip clubs. Did you make out a lot? You mean with women? Yes. <laughs> it's a strip well, joint. Well, a couple of waitresses died in my arms. But uh, <laughs> otherwise, I was a busy little guy. But a lot of women, the, the ones that were kind of decent and beautiful and nice, were scared to death of me. Scared to death of me. They thought, oh, that's the guy that's going to make funny, you know. And I finally met my beautiful wife, Barbara. We're married 49 years. And uh, she, was a, she was a very, uh, she still is, thank God, very smart and bright lady. And uh, she understood my humor, you know. And that's the story there. Now, what was the top of the line? What was the best venue in New York City when you were working the strip clubs? Was it the Copacabana? What was, what was the number one place? Oh, no. Uh, the Copacabana was uh, certainly no strip joint. Uh, it was, uh, there's a little story to that. I, I was working at a place called the Elegant, which my manager for 40 years, he passed away, and, uh, in Brooklyn. And you went from the Elegant to a place called Ben Max's, roadside uh, out, out of town on Brooklyn or someplace. Well, I skipped Ben Max because my manager knew, uh, about Charlie, and Charlie, you know, it was important. And uh, he said, Charlie, can you get on a break in the Copa? Hey, hey, it's done, done. The first time I went to the Copa, I, I met Jules Podell, who ran the Copa. And I said, Mr. Podell, it's nice to meet you. Forgive the impersonation, but that's way you talk. I, I don't want any kid in my joint that makes fun of people mm. and calls them dummies and yo-yos. I don't need that crap. Joe, nothing, no, nothing personal, but this kid can't come near my joint. I don't want to see him. I don't want to bother me and leave me alone and I love him. I'll have a drink on me and goodbye. 
said, well, Joe, I'm not going to work the coop. And Joe said, he had a high voice like a bird. Don't worry, I'm going to take care of it. You know, put a dress on him. You thought it was a girl. Anyway, <laughs> if he was alive, I'd be dead if I said that. Anyway, so he said, I'll take care of it. Don't worry, Don. Next day, the phone rang, and he said, Mr. Podell would like to see you. And I said, oh, geez, what's going to be now? So I went to the coop, and we sat in the lounge, had a drink. He said, I want you to know you're one of the finest, funniest comedians in the world. I've been all over the country. You are now going to be part of the Copacabana family. Say any goddamn thing you want. Well, the punchline was some guys from Brooklyn, you know, their guns were being oiled. And so they, they called him and said, Jules, we like this kid. Boom. And next thing you know, I was starring in the Copacabana. I made it a little shorter, but that's pretty much what, what happened. And every time I went on, he'd make me come in the kitchen to one of the funniest kids in the world. Boom. <laughs> would have a glass of whiskey. How has New York changed? I mean, you know New York. I, I, I adore New York. I think New York has, uh, you know, when the wise guys were in that city, except with their own, they were great to performers. They really were. I, I, I say that all the time. They, I mean, you know, they're, they're real... Real, they, they loved show business, and they were always certainly good to me and to a lot of the guys I knew. But uh, New York is still New York, it, 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 except if you're on Broadway. There's no more nightclub, so to speak. You have to be in a, in a show on Broadway, you know, eight shows a week, you know. You, you do good, but in the wings, they give it your mouth to mouth, you know, especially at my age. <laughs> I, when the curtain came down, the four guys carried me away. But I never... That was my dream, to work on Broadway. And I did an off-Broadway play, uh, two. One was with a fellow called Tom Poston, who was on with Bob Newhart, my good friend, on his television show. And the other one was with a, a guy that uh, was adorable, a big, big guy, Ernie Borgnine. We did The Odd Couple. He was great to me. And he played the guy. Uh, I thought I was going to be the loud guy. And he played the loud guy, and I was the timid guy. And we did very well together. Not exactly typecasting. No, no. <laughs> but Ernie was something special. He really was. Straight ahead, more of my interview with Don Rickles. So stay here with us. You're listening to Dan Rather's The Big Interview. We'll be back with Don Rickles. Welcome back to Dan Rather's The Big Interview. Today's guest is Don Rickles. I've had it. I've had it. That's it. It's over. No, that's it. I've had it. No, no. I don't want to discuss it. I've had it. Oh, you know. What's the matter? What's the matter, huh? A kid just hit me in the mouth with a brick. That's oh, what's the matter. Heavens, well, you told him that was very wrong. Oh, no. You didn't? Why not? Because I had the brick in my mouth. That's why you dummy. <laughs> Don Rickles may not have been a Hollywood leading man, but that's not to say he was not a successful working actor. Rickles was an almost constant presence on television, guest starring on many of the most popular shows. During the 1960s, for example, he appeared on The Lucy Show. Hi. What's that? F Troop. Why don't you go out and see? In the dark? <laughs> Gilligan's Island. You're a mean, nasty, vicious man. I know, and I hate myself for it. But if I had known you were such a nice lady, I never would have snatched you. 
The Dick Van Dyke Show. Oh, what's, what's the matter, fella? Nothing's the matter. This is just a simple little stick-up. Huh? Get smart. Max, pussycat! Sid, it's good to see you again. Uh, uh, you haven't changed a bit. How long has it been now? Fifteen years! The Twilight Zone. And furthermore, Callahan, you're nothing but a cheating insult to the American bookie! Listen, I, I, don't, uh, I don't think Barney meant to be so, so tough on And The Andy Griffith Show, just to name a few. What's the difference? I'm a loser, that's all. Everything I touch goes south. A bucket, a furnace, a hole. Even a business I bought. In the 1970s, he starred in two shows of his own. The short-lived Don Rickles show, followed by a two-year run on NBC's CPO Sharky. <laughs> he played a chief petty officer in the U.S. Navy. That series is often remembered for what became known as the cigarette box incident. This is not your land, you crazy town, you're not trying to have the land. Rickles made an appearance on The Tonight Show while Johnny Carson was out and Bob Newhart was filling in. Oh, Carson's cigarette box. Oh, my goodness. I brought Carson's cigarette box. You know how long I've had the cigarette box on his desk? You brought that up from New York, sir? I brought this from New York. What on earth? It happened last night. Who? Don Rickles. I did not see the Don show Rickles last night. Don Rickles did it last night. He's taping across the hall. CPO Shark. Can I get over there? Can I get over there? And to the delight of the studio audience, Johnny Carson decided to confront Rickles during the taping of his sitcom. Rickles! Rickles, hold! Stop the taping! Stop the taping! Somebody broke my cigarette box. <laughs> started the show, I picked my box up off my desk that I've had for nine years. My box is broken. <laughs> they told me, they told me you broke it on the show last night. Well, I, I, I really... I, 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 I... In recent years, Rickles has won high praise and new fans for his depiction of Mr. Potato Head in the popular Pixar franchise Toy Story. Hey, him! Look, I'm Picasso. Yeah, I don't get it. You uncultured swine. What are you looking at, you hockey puck? Well, we talk about how New York had changed from the 1950s. We're talking about well over half a century. Is the city at its core, at its base, still the New York you knew as a young man and a young performer? Well, everything changes, Dan, as you know. I, I, <clears throat> I, I can only say in my time, you know, there was more entertainers hanging around the drugstore, hanging around the downtown and, and schmoozing and going to a deli together. You don't see that kind of friendship anymore because nobody's left. The young kids don't do that. They go down to Soho and they, and they dance all night, you know, which is fine. But uh, in my day, we all used to hang around by the drugstore or by the deli, you know. And, and I had many friends that way, you know. And then I went to, uh, which is unbelievable, I graduated from the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, which is still a very distinguished place. And uh, I was the kind of guy that said, Rickles graduated from the Academy <laughs> with my background. I, mean, I, did, I did very well, and that, I was very proud of that. And a lot of good, Grace Kelly was, was in our class, you know. Yeah, 
should have married her. Anyway, well, anyway. Well, did you ever date her? No, no, no. She wasn't big enough. But I, you know, there's a lot of people I knew, but she wasn't big enough. But <laughs> she was a lovely lady, though. But uh, there were so many uh, people of importance that went to school with me. You know, I, I lived with Jason and the Robots for 20 minutes, you know, and he was a hell of an actor and a good guy. Yeah, he was. Yeah, good guy, very good. You know what I hear in your voice as you talk about this is that for all of your success, is there a little part of you that aches that you didn't crack through as an actor. You cracked through as a performer, <laughs> one of the world's great and best-known performers, but not as an actor. It still hurt at this age? Well, I wouldn't use the word hurt. I was disappointed. But I did film, you know, I did a picture called Rat Race with Debbie Reynolds and Tony Curtis. And was known in that picture. I was a mobster and I slapped her and they all talked about it. All talked about it. I slapped her in the movie. Right. <laughs> Not on the street. Did you have dinner? Yeah. Are oh, you going to have another? Nice guy from Dallas, old business friend. Strictly first class. His hotel. Be there in 30 minutes. No later. And so uh, I did that. I did a picture called Run Silent, Run Deep with Clark Gable, who kept saying, don't worry, kid, Lancaster doesn't know. I, I like to throw in my impressions. Lancaster, he doesn't know what the hell's going on, kid. Don't worry about it. Bum, bum, bum. And Burton, he and I played a, one of the sailors, but they, they really, Robert Wise, who also, he elevated the parts. I want this scope up as we dive. As we dive, sir? I want to be ready to fire as soon as we level off at 50 feet. Now, I know this is all new to you, but you'll just have to get used to it. The whole purpose of this drill is to dive and fire as soon as we level. Let's try it again. Surface? Surface! In this last one that I did with Robert De Niro, who I know is the great mumbler, you know. And I said that I went on the set of casino. I don't know if you ever saw it, but I, Monty Scorsese liked me very much, and we're still very good friends. And there was no part for me. And I said, geez, I'd love to be in casino. I know those kind of guys. And Monty Scorsese said, yeah, Rickles would be the guy. And he wrote in a guy called Billy Sherman. Wasn't even in the script. He said, you're going to be De Niro's bodyguard. You'll be. I said, gee, Monty, thanks. Ah. I hired an old casino pal, Billy Sherbert, as my manager, and I went to work. For guys like me, Las Vegas washes away your sins. It's like a morality car wash. It does for us what Lourdes does for humpbacks and cripples. The first day we get on the set, and I never worked with Bob, you know, except went to his house and talked to him for a few minutes. And I said, roll him. And he's walking down the casino floor. And he goes, you know, I went and I said to the girl, we ought, to, we, ought to go to the, we ought to go to the movies maybe later. And I said, hold it, hold it. I said, hold it, Marty, Marty, please. I can't work with this man. I can't. I don't need it. I'm walking. I don't need it. He's a mumbler. I don't need it. I'm making $4. He's making $70 million. <laughs> I don't need that. Where am I going, Marty? They started laughing. <laughs> And they said, don't get around. De Niro don't like laughing. All of a sudden, De Niro's going, oh, 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 why do they live? I said, Bob, you've got to talk up. What the hell's the matter with you? You know.
You're listening to Dan Rather's The Big Interview. We'll be back with Don Rickles. Welcome back to Dan Rather's The Big Interview. Today's guest is Don Rickles. How are you, amigo? Sayeno, caballero, muy Spanish. Spanish. Spanish, que pasa, serera, caballero. Sayeno, caballero. See, they're laughing, and one of their guys is up in my room now taking my jewelry. Anyway, uh, now that's a joke, amigos. We are all brothers. No, now. Would you, would you stand up here? <laughs> Can I grab you by the legs? I want to dust. <laughs> what you do is, is insult humor. Yeah. And you've insulted people of every race, color, creed, religion, gender, how do you get away with it? Well, Dan, I, the word insult stuck with me. I really don't, see, nobody would come into a theater and if I said something terrible about you and it wasn't funny and it wasn't uh, sensible, you, you wouldn't be there. The idea is that people know, unless you live under a rock, if I say to you, Dan, I'm going to be a friend, the tie and the shirt, it's weak, take it off. Now, I'm not saying you're a moron. I do say to a guy, don't be a moron. You know, it's the way you say things. My father had that gift. But I want to get back. You said, that, yes, it's known as insult comedy, mm -hmm. but that you don't really insult people. I want to pursue that. Sure. See, a lot of people watching and listening to this say, what do you mean he doesn't insult people? Dan Rather just showed him at a club in Las Vegas he was insulting everybody in the room and half the people on the street. Yeah. And you're asking? And, but you say you don't insult them. No, I don't, because it's, it's not mean-spirited. And it's obvious, unless you live under a rock, it's a joke. It's a, you know, if I say to a guy, uh, is that the wife? And I go, ooh, have you thought about a hospital? You know, the guy's laughing like you. He's laughing. Why? Because I'm not mean. I'm not, he knows it's a joke, you know. But I worked in many places. At the beginning, I said, good evening. And I, in Montreal, Canada, going, you, he called my wife an idiot. Get him out of here. You know, and I used to be on, on the plane a lot. It didn't catch on one, two, three, you know. But, that, but, that, but that's what I did. In other words, I did impressions, and nobody laughed, and I can't to this day really tell a joke. But I would, like I'm talking to you, and things would happen. I'd look at the audience, and every night, my show does change. There's a beginning, middle, and ending. But every night it changes. It's according to what's in front of me. You know. What does comedy mean to you? Besides a, a great living, a successful career, what does it mean to you? Well, I never, I was always that way. And even in school, even with my friends, uh, I find life can be funny. Things in sadness make me laugh, you know. Uh, not because I'm heartless, certainly not. Uh, when my mother passed away, my mother, my mother made me laugh when she was dying, rest her soul. She was in the hospital with masks and everything. And she was only in her late 70s in those days, you know. And, uh, and she had emphysema, bad. And I said, Doctor, how is he? He said, oh, no. I said, can I go in and talk to her? I said, yeah. And it's a true story. And I walked by, I said, Mom, dear, it's me. And she lifted up the mask and she said, it's that slow in New Vegas? 
What a wonderful story. It's and you say story. that story has the added advantage of being true? Yeah, it is true. What a wonderful memory to have you. Oh, I never forgot that. But you said it hit you hard when your father died. Yeah. Unexpectedly, yeah. drops on the street. Yeah, and that's just at 55, you know, yeah. those days. But your mother was in her 70s. Yeah. But you had been very close to her. In very. fact, you lived with her before you got married. Not only did we live with her, I lived in a, in a motel in Miami Beach when I was struggling. And there was a curtain between us. She had her quarters and I had mine. It was like a three-room thing with a curtain. <laughs> and I said, Mama, could you go out late tonight? I think I, I, I got a chance. She said, why, I can't meet them? I know everybody. <laughs> she wasn't exactly a monk, you know what I mean? <laughs> She's a very strong lady, very strong. But I'm thinking, this is the kind of closeness that most grown sons do not have with their mother. That's true. Now, my questions are, first of all, what did you learn from that? I, I learned a lot of, to try to, in those days, you, you always got jealous of the next guy, you know, as a comedian. Always, all, I mean, every actor. Oh, he's not as good as me. And she taught me to uh, respect and try to cherish what you have, not be envious. But it pops up once in a while, because you're in a business where you're competitive, you know. Absolutely. And so I, she taught me a lot of that. She taught me that I was, you know, like this all the time. We'd go into a restaurant, she'd say, uh, the Rickles table, I'd say, Ma, I'll take care of it. She said, will you stop it, but I'll, I'll take care of it. And they all liked her. She taught me to be aggressive, but not rude, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And she would go. And my wife, of 49 years, is similar to, my, is similar to, to me when I was a kid. I, I, I'll say, Barbara, we're going to go right over there. I know the manager. Stop it. Don't go over there. Wait like everybody else. She talks like that. I do that in front of her, and then she realizes I gave her all that jewelry, so she don't make a fuck. No, but she's a wonderful lady. But you got this confidence from your mother that didn't come naturally to you. No, no, no. Oh, God, I was, uh, I was embarrassed with hello, you know. I was. I really was. It's, it's amazing, you know, how she would, uh, when I would be with her, I, I felt great. I really did. She always made me feel good. She yelled at me a lot. In other words, I ran away from home once in Jackson Heights, and I forget, she lifted up the window at the end and yelled out, I went to the bus stop, and she said, you forgot your sweater. <laughs> well, this is the time for me to ask you, what is the worst thing that's happened to you in your life? I don't know about the worst thing. You've had a great life. So, yes. So. I, I, you know, Dan, I, as I sit here, the, and it's not the worst thing. The, the scariest thing when I was in the Navy in World War II, but the worst thing, God, is usually when a friend passed away or something, and I, I can't, you know, there's so many guys I knew, you know, and it's hard to, to pin it down. One reason I ask, you were talking about your mother. Yeah. And for many men, I'm one of them. Yeah. When you talk about the worst days of your life, yeah. the day your mother passed, yeah. is always on the list. Oh, yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I take that as a given. Sure. Sure it was. Sure it was. Uh, because she taught me so much. And uh, when I visited her in the hospital, she always gave me, you know, the Newt Rockney, you know, the great football. She gave me Newt Rockney talks. So she was lying there, you know, poor thing, and with pumps and everything else, and, and telling me how good I'm going to be, you know. Yeah. And in, in the show now, I shouldn't tell you, 
you'll pay. I'll make you, you'll come to the show. We show a, a film clip at the end of my mother talking to me. And it's unique, Dan, because she says, you know, I'm not with you now, but I'm with you in spirit. She did this on This Is Your Life when I did This Is Your Life. And it fits in, you know, with her God. Oh, she makes a speech to the audience, and they all go, ooh, including me. Hello, doll boy. Tonight has been a long time coming, but I never doubted that it would come. From the time we would use my knitting needles to conduct the orchestra at Ready City Music Hall, I never doubted that you would be a great entertainer. I'm a nice guy, in spite of what you heard. I'm a nice guy, because that's your little bird. Whenever you see me, just don't stop the chat. I'm sorry, lady, I can't help it if you're fat. I'm a nice guy. People all adore me. I'm a nice guy. What's the best thing that's happened to you in your life? Well, there's a lot of good. My wife, of course. I'm very happy. My family, my two grandchildren. You know, when you said the worst thing that happened to me, isn't it funny how my mind just, I try to, and it never goes away. I lost my son. I don't want to get too emotional, but he was only 40 years old, and he was everything to us. And he has a sister, thank God, and she has two children, she's great. But he was your only son. My only son, yeah. And to lose a son at 40, and God forbid you, it was a horror. It, it, it absolutely broke my heart. He didn't want to go to the hospital. There was a little pimple on his leg. It was that, a, 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 a fugitivitis. I never could pronounce it. It sounds funny, but, I, but that's what I had in, in this leg. That's why I have the cane, because it's, it's getting better. I could, they said I, I, I would never walk. So, you know, and I'm on the stage now with the cane, and I sit by the piano with the cane, and I do shtick there, and, and they still laugh. Well, I want to talk about that in a moment, and we're all going to move on. But before we move on about your son, that I don't know of a parent who wouldn't say, among my greatest fears is that one of my children will pass before I do. Yeah. Before your son passed, did you have that thought yourself? I, honest to God, from the days of recognizing what life was about, from the day I, in World War II, that I was in the Navy under the pressure, so to speak. With sorrow, I was always able to handle that. Always. Uh, my son was the only time that I fell apart a little bit, but always able to handle that. And I never think of death now at 88. Crazy, I'm telling you. Never said this on television. 88. At 80, I go to sleep at night. And sometimes I say, will I wake up in the morning? Is that crazy, Dan? I, I've never said that on television to anybody. I go to sleep and I go, I'm 88. Will I wake up tomorrow? I never said it to my wife, to anybody. It's strange how your head works. Because in May I'll be 89. And, I, and then you read in the paper, 92, Charlie, Eddie, boom, you know, dying all around you. And you say, gee, what's going to be? You know, I know I won't see two worlds, three world series from now or a football game in four years. That's the way, that's the, that's the only, uh, it's the only thing, and I won't get to see them 
hope to God, you know, to marry. It's a lot of things I, I, with my family. I, because I adore my daughter. I think she's wonderful. She's a, she's a struggling actress and comedian and good, and she's good. But I don't know if I'm going to be around to see that kind of success. I hope to be. And I got great care around me. And when I got this, I said, geez, I, doctor, and I had this doctor, great surgeon, but uh, what they call uh, you know, uh, a, a personality you know, for doctors. You know, he was one of those, uh, uh, well, Don, if you don't get operated, you're, you're going to lose your leg. You know? He was one of those guys. I went, really? Hmm. We were talking like it's a cup of coffee. You know? <laughs> lose my leg. That's it. We got to operate right away. He came. I went to the hospital in two minutes. First operation. Six operations on him. Six. To get that poison out that was in my leg. And he did it. He did a great job. God bless him. And so we became, then he gave me little tapes of his kids' music after he found out that I was a human being, and he was too. But that's the only time I, I ever think about death at my age. I'll tell you this. <laughs> Is this too fast, Ronnie? Anyway, uh... He's sitting there looking at the program going, where does he say he makes fun of me? Where does it say that? Have you had to dial back at least a little for fear of not being politically correct? I never get into politics. Never. But on such things as, for example, race, can you say the same things that you said in 1950s, 1960s, 1970s today? Sometimes I use a, a remark that I used that I thought was very funny. It comes to me and I say it, yeah. But, you know, I, like the other night, there was a black gentleman, that's recent, I never said it before, black gentleman right in the front, good-looking guy, and he was laughing with his wife. And I said, damn, it's a shame, I said, if, if Obama ran again, you'd be in the first row. <laughs> in the second row. Did you laugh? He laughed his ass off, you know. I said, I said, we need your people. This is relaxing all aboard. So you haven't really had to dial back. You know, when you're an actor and, like, you're a newsman, you can't please everybody. You're selling yourself. No. Even when you say Tokyo will say it was bombed, you know. Oh, it's sad news. But if they didn't like you, they're going to turn to the other station and hear the other guy say the same thing. So we're always selling ourselves. It's true. So the basic thing is, if they like you, you could say the dog died, you know. But some of these guys go, go far, you know, with the, the screwing your, your monkey, you know. You know. Funny line, screwing your monkey, write that down. Anyway, <laughs> so I said, this guy's writing it down. I don't do the words, I do the attitude. I'll say, screw me, and say, you are a pain in that, you know what, you know. But I'll say it differently than they say, screw you. But that doesn't matter, that's me. The way they do it, the, as long as they laugh, they have a right to do it. Well, you know, you're making a point that I should have noticed. You don't use really foul language. Never. I mean, you do curse some... Son of a bitch, pardon the expression. <laughs> but the F word, for Never. example? Never in my life. So question, are you tempted to change the act a little, saying, look, the times have changed, there are people making a lot of money using these words and using them to get laughs? Only because at 88, I signed a new contract in Vegas. I'm booked for the whole year now. So why would I change? I mean, there's no need to change. It's like... The car is still running and the motor is still going. And by the time I decide to change, I'll be in the hospital and Tony or Paul, one of my 
management will be going. John, the doctor says Thursday, you'll move your arm. <laughs> That's about it. The question, is there any well-known celebrity, famous person who resented what you did and didn't take it? You described Johnny Carson, yeah. uh, John Wayne. Yeah. They all took the attitude well. Yeah. Anybody who didn't take it well? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Ed. I'm sure there's a list. But no one has ever come up to me and of, of fame right. and said, I don't particularly care for your humor. No, no, I've never had that. But when you do anything different, you're always open for criticism. And if I didn't do what I did, I wouldn't be sitting here now. You've got to be different than the next guy. And the guys I know that are funny, that are doing boom, boom, joke, 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 joke. Some of them can't get off third base. You know what I'm saying? You've got to be, so you say, they make up things about it. You've got to see Rickles' show tonight. You should see what he did to, oh, gee, great, what he did to that guy. It was all, and sometimes I didn't do what they said I did, you know. But that's the way it goes. You've been so generous with your time, and I appreciate it greatly. Okay. I know you don't want to think about it, and neither do I, but the time comes for everybody. At your memorial service. Hmm. <laughs> did you hear something? And, no. Oh. Uh, we hope no time soon. But at your memorial service, what music do you want played, or do you want music played? Well, if I'm dead, who's going to say? Unless I push a rocket sign and go, play that! You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I adore him, as everybody knows. It's Frank Sinatra. He's, he's my hero as far as that goes. And, uh, I, I would love to have him singing. And I would love to have uh, maybe a few friends that I adore and love say a few words. That's about it. And what would you like for them to say? Greatness has gone. <laughs> that's a joke. No, I don't know what they're going to say then. That is not a joke. That is not a joke. Might be well said. At what he did, uh, greatness is gone. <laughs> and I was thinking maybe as you go out, and I'm, you have to tell me, you like the Matador music coming on, bringing your act on. Absolutely. So when your act has to move on, to the final place, yeah. why not play the Matador? Okay. Make a note of that. I'll call the funeral parlor tomorrow. <laughs> what color would you like the casket? <laughs> Man is burying me here. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna go back to my house now and just lay down like this, <laughs> and, and wait and, and wait and wait for it's over. Wife's gonna say, "What happened? I was with Dan. That you mocking me? I'm dead." <laughs> he did a memorial service. Dan, the show. I have cancer and you don't want to tell me. Son of a... <laughs> Give me a break, Dan. I never. I, you don't look good, as a matter of fact. I want to tell you that. I haven't in a long time. No, definitely. You've got plenty of time. <laughs> Man, it was burying me for no reason. <laughs> Don, thank you very much. Thank you, you Dan. Were great and I'll tell you the truth. The reason I'm here is because of your great reputation and your wonderful style. And, and the best of luck to you. Thank you very much. Godspeed to you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Is that a print? And that's the big interview for tonight. We're always eager to hear what you have to say, so please follow us on Facebook and Twitter or send your comments to viewer at access.tv. Well, that wraps up another fantastic episode of Dan Rather's The Big Interview. Now remember, if you love what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And of course, leave us a review and tell a friend. Thank you for joining us for Dan Rather's The Big Interview, where music and conversation 
come together.